we're coming to Job 3, and in our studies on Sunday night, it just kind of skipped over Job 3, and I can understand why. Job 3 is one of the darkest, most depressing chapters in all the Bible. And you may say, great, Pastor, just what I needed today, dark and depressing, as if we don't get enough of that. But we need to remember that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable for doctrine to teach us, for reproof, for correction. So it's, it's profitable to teach us, it's profitable to show us what's wrong, it's profitable to tell us how to correct what's wrong, and it's profitable, it tells us in Second Timothy, to instruct us in how to do right, in righteousness. And we read in Romans 15 that all these things were written for our learning and our admonition. And, and it is a a very difficult chapter that we come to. Um, Simone Weald said, there are only two things that pierce the human heart. One is beauty. The other is affliction. Well, as you know already from the study of Job, the piercing of Job's heart is through affliction. And we're not going to review all of those things. You're familiar with that. If not, read chapters 1 and 2. And in those chapters, Job responds as a super saint. But as we get to chapter 3, he does not sound like a super saint. He unleashed a spirit of anguish. And Job is sitting at the city dump, a place of repulsive stench, a place where outcasts of society go. His body is filled with boils. His wife is there wringing her hands. Three friends are staring at him in silence for seven days and seven nights. And there is no hope from above that he can see. And that is where we pick up with this in Job chapter 3. Notice what we read. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth, and Job spoke and said... Okay, so seven days they'd sat there with not a word. And the silence is broken when Job says, May the day perish on which I was born, and the night in which it was said, A male child is conceived. May that day be darkness... May God above not seek it, nor the light shine upon it. May darkness and the shadow of death claim it. 
May a cloud settle on it. May the blackness of the day terrify it. As for that night, may darkness seize it. May it not rejoice among the days of the years. May it not come into the number of the months. Oh, may that night be barren. May no joyful shout come into it. May those curse it who curse the day, those who are ready to arouse Leviathan. May the stars of its morning be dark. May it look for light but have none and not see the dawning of the day because it did not shut up the doors of my mother's womb nor hide sorrow from my eyes. So, he begins this with a regret of his birth. The first ten verses. And it is darkness of soul. I mean, these are some strong, strong words that he uses here. And, and he's regretting the day of his birth. And then in verses 11 through 19, he wishes he had died at birth. Notice what we read. Why did I not die at birth? Why did I not perish when I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? Or why the breast that I should nurse? For now I would have lain still and been quiet. I would have been asleep. Then I would have been at rest with kings and counselors of the earth who built ruins for themselves, or with the princes who had gold, who had filled their house with silver. Or why was I not hidden like a stillborn child, like infants who never saw light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners rest together. They do not hear the voice of oppression. The small and great are there, and the servant is free from his master. So he says, I wish I had died at birth. At least I, at least I wouldn't be experiencing what I'm experiencing now. And, and he was seeing the, the only deliverance at this time in his life. He was seeing it as, I wish I had died. And so then, in verses 20 through 26, he goes from, I wish I'd never been born, I wish I had died at birth, to now, he longs to die. Notice verse 20. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter of soul, who long for death but it does not come? And search for it more than hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they can find the grave. Why is light or life given to a man whose way is hidden and whom God has hedged in? For my sign comes before I eat, and my groanings pour out like water. For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, for trouble comes. So, <clears throat> here he comes, and he now longs to die. Um, he summed up his misery in verse 26. I am not at ease. 
I am not quiet, I am not at rest, and I am full of turmoil. So, Job is in a very, very dark place. Without a raise of hands, Job has said, I wish I'd never been born. I wish I'd died at birth. I long for death. Without a raise of hands, undoubtedly, many of us here today have had times in our life where we said, I wish I had died. Longing for death. It may be times of rejection, it may be times of, of sickness, it may be times of just confusion, it may be times of great, great trouble and turmoil, it may be tragedy has stricken, and, and to be honest, there are many here I have had in my life where I've said, God, I wish I were dead, I wish I'd never lived, and And this is where Job is, so much more so than we have ever been. But this is where Job is. And the chapter begins and it gives us a picture into Job's mind and into his soul. He's already lost everything that you can lose. He's not going to suffer more uh, physically than what he's already done. But the battle now entered into the entirety of another arena. It entered into the battle of Job's mind and soul. And how will he respond to this suffering? What will he choose to think about God during this time? What will he choose to think about suffering? What will he choose to think about others? And really, the remainder of the book gives answers to those questions. But right here, it's giving us a picture of the agonizing battle that was going on in his mind and soul. Job wondered why God allowed the misery that he was experiencing. He wondered why life was even given to someone of such a bitter soul. Why, why do I have life if I'm in this bitterness of soul? And he was among those that longed for death, but it does not come. Job um, longed to be delivered Yet he did not commit or seem to seriously consider suicide. Again, we come back and God's giving us a picture of the agonizing, honest soul of a man. Job's trouble did not come because he'd lost faith in God. He felt that he feared God. He sought to obey God. In Job's mind, he felt that God had lost faith in him. And and so he asked, why is light given or life given to me if I can't see the way and, and the why of why I'm in this trap position? It says here that whom God has hedged in. 
we, we can't comprehend the darkness that he was in. But it doesn't minimize the darkness that people go through in this life, that many of you have experienced, and the darkness that, that we may experience. But this is a, this is a weighty, um, this is a very, very difficult passage. But I really believe, duh, I was going to say, I really believe God put it here for a purpose. It's in the eternal Word of God. And, and admittedly, we're going to see the whole picture here as we go through the study of Job. And, and we already come to it knowing the whole picture. We already come to it. But to try to, to, try to see the depths of Job's darkness and, and the depths of the agony of soul um, is something not that we necessarily need to try to emotionally attach with Him in these things. But okay, God, what is there in this that You want me to learn from? And, and in understanding the, the stark contrast, Job 1 and 2, super saint. In all this, Job said, the Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away, blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God foolishly. And then you turn to chapter 3 and you read this and it's like, whoa. And yet we know God's um, viewpoint of Job, that he is a righteous man, that he is blameless before God. And, and so it's, it's like Job, who didn't, was not aware of the conversation in heaven of, here's my servant Job, try him. And then he removed it. Okay, you can touch his body, but you can't take his life. And, and so the very thing, Job saying, I would love to die and be gone from this. And God said, no, you can't touch his life. And so here's this, but Job is, is completely blind to that that has taken place. All he sees is, are the events of life that have been catastrophic. And, and he is besides himself. And rightfully so. And, and it's important for us to see in this that Job still did maintain his faith. And, and yet, um, he, he asked God, and yet he, he cursed the day of his birth. Remember, Satan said he would get Job to curse God. Job never cursed God. He was saying, I wish I'd never been born. And you might say, well, God is the one that gave him life. But at the same time, in the weight of his grief and sorrow and confusion at what is going on, he said, it would have been better for me. That was the longing of his heart. 
And I'm sure as we went through this, as you reflect at various times in your life when the waves of sorrow or the waves of confusion swept over your soul, the waves of rejection, we could go on and on and list things that that you could have written something similar to Job 3 in, in asking, in desiring deliverance in whatever way. And, and so we come to this and we say, okay, what could be some of God's purposes for for peeling back the heart of Job and letting us look into it. I think one thing we need to realize is that the Bible accurately portrays every Bible character. I mean, this is is showing us, not just from chapter 1 and 2, Job's a great saint, to chapter 42, Job's a great saint, Job is a great saint. But these are the battles that Job had. This is the reality. In the midst of all of this, he was a great saint. But this is the reality of what was going on in Job's heart and life. You look throughout the Bible, and most books that are written about individuals... They're usually written to, to give either a really good view of the person or a really bad view of the person. There's usually a slant on it. God gives a real view of the person. I mean, we read David, a man after God's own heart, but then we read David's Pride and sin with Bathsheba, and we read all the problems that came in his family as a result of that. We read of some horrific events of of someone chopping their own daughter up and sending the twelve pieces of it to the twelve tribes of Israel as a testimony to the evil that is in the land. I mean. There are, there are some really, really bad things recorded in the Bible because there's some really, really bad things in the heart of man. And God doesn't gloss over it. He gives an accurate picture. Marilyn said this morning, she said, I really don't like, I'm not enjoying reading through the Old Testament right now. Because of that. I mean, there's certain, certain accounts that you come to and, and you know what you're coming to and it's like, I don't want to read about this. But you can count on the fact that the Bible accurately portrays every Bible character. Secondly, we observe deep despair can happen to the most godly people. I mean, deep, deep despair. We, we have a skewed idea that anyone who walks closely with God 
will live happily ever after. That, that's what we, we have a tendency, accept Christ as your personal Savior and everything will go well for you. Well, the Bible is full of examples, not just Job, of individuals that, like Job in Job 3, were at the point of despair in their life that they longed for death. And that list includes Moses. That list includes Elijah, a a mighty, mighty man of God, mightily used of God. And and shortly after a great victory, he's, he's wishing he were dead. Jonah, Jeremiah, Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 20, it's almost like he's quoting, and he may be quoting, the book of Job. And, and you can understand it. I don't have time to go into it. But in Jeremiah, all that he experienced, raised up as a prophet, sent to the people, and God said, I want you to go and speak to them, but they're not going to listen anyway, but go. And what he endured, put in, in the sinking mire as a punishment for speaking what the Lord... and. We don't have time to go into it, but he he came to the point even as Job did. We read throughout church history of many very, very godly individuals that, that went to the depths of despair. And, and many of them over and over again. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the, the prince of preachers, um, had many occasions of of great despair. He wrote, he said, I was lying on my couch during this last week and my spirits were sunken so low that I could weep by the hour like a child and yet I knew not for what I wept. But a very slight thing will move me to tears just now. And he said, and a kind friend was telling me of some poor old soul living near who was suffering in very great pain. And yet she was full of joy and rejoicing. I was so distressed by hearing that story and felt so ashamed of myself that I did not know what to do. Wondering why I should be in such a state as this, while this poor woman who had a terrible cancer and was in the most frightful agony, could nevertheless rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. So here he is in the depths of despair, weeping as a child, and he hears a friend comes to him trying to encourage and tells him of this dear saint, that is in the midst of physical agony, but she has joy and rejoicing, and that just drove him even deeper into the the sorrow and shame. He, He battled severe bouts of depression. One stemmed from a huge gathering at his church, thousands, and someone, they don't know whether it was a prank or or on purpose, shouted, Fire! 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 And in the mass exodus, 
Seven people were trampled to death, and that drove Spurgeon into the depths of despair. Felt accountable himself for what for whatever reason. This was this was the prince of preachers. Adoniram Judson, the great missionary, pioneer missionary to Burma, buried his wife and four children in Burma and sat for four days by the open grave of his family in overwhelming despair and battled the records record of his battling that and another missionary friend couple of theirs the husband died and he wrote to Sarah Broadman and he said you will experience the depths of despair and at the bottom of this is the sweetest fragrance of Jesus he eventually wrote to her it it shouldn't surprise us and yet it will it shouldn't shock us if as believers we come to a point similar to Job. Because God has purposes in all those things. Even as Adoniram Judson said, there's the sweetness of the presence of God at the bottom of this well of despair. So it's not like, wow, this person is in deep despair, something must be wrong. There, we'll get to that as we go through Job. There may be, but not necessarily. Thirdly, suicide is not the answer. Although Job longed for this, there is no indication that he contemplated or attempted ever. He knew that was in God's hands. And, and as much as he longed for um, deliverance from the condition that he was in, he knew that suicide was not the answer. We live in a day today because there is no God that suicide is increasing in our nation in, in incredible rates. And yet to understand that is not the solution. And Job left his life in God's hand. He was submissive to the will of God and the timing of the sovereign God. And you see how God worked in his life. Fourthly, we must realize that God is always at work in my life, creating a life message for the benefit of myself, others, and to the glory of God. God allowed this in Job's life. God is sovereign. He rules over all things. And God just doesn't allow things for no reason. God is at work in every one of our lives as believers, creating a life message for our own well-being, but not only for our well-being, but for the well-being of others, and to the glory of God. And Job is a prime example of that. 
God was at work in Job's life and, and God matured Job and God produced great things through Job's life, not only for Job's life, as we'll see as we continue in the study, but also here we are thousands of years after Job and God is still using the truth of God's Word, what He did in Job's life, in our lives and challenging us by it. God allowed Job to continue on in life for a number of reasons. As a lesson to the angelic beings, the angels watched and thought, does Job only love God because of the good that he gets? And they learned, no, Job loved God because of who God was. God allowed Job to continue on in life to teach him a special reliance on God. He comes to the end of of life borne down with this great, great, great weight. And all he has is God and finds out that God is all that he needs. Job, God allowed Job to continue to live to teach him not to regard the wisdom of man as much as the wisdom of God. God allowed him to live to vindicate him before other men. God allowed him to live to make a lesson and an example for all the ages that we can still benefit. And God allowed him to live more than he ever had before. He produced greater fruit than he ever had before. So, we must come to realize, okay, in the midst of the darkness, God is at work. And in despair, we must pour our heart out to God. Job 3 is in despair. Job pouring out the raw reality of his heart to God. And, and it is very raw. And God will challenge some of Job's claims later on. But you notice God never scolds Job or condemns him for speaking what he spoke in Job 3. Such an outpouring of the soul is far more healthy for the soul than the dark, silent brooding that many times we're tempted to go to. You know, God already knows our thoughts. He knows what's going on inside us. You are not going to surprise God when you come to Him and say, God, what is... I need God! And, and you may not even be able to utter words. You, you may be pounding on the ground. You may be weeping and crying. And it's not like God says, knock it off. Sit up here and, and act like a man. He already knows. And the psalmist said in Psalm 62, how important it is, and I love the phrase that he used in verse 8, to pour out your heart before the Lord. 
To pour it out means you leave nothing left. We sometimes think we need to act... I don't know how else to say it. We need to act saintly when we go before the Lord. Job came in the raw reality of of what was going on in his heart, and he poured his heart out before God, and God never once rebuked him for it. He corrected him for some of the misunderstandings that he had. And to realize God could handle Job's words. He understands, understood why he said it, and God can handle it. He is touched. Hebrews 4.15 says, We don't have a high priest who is not touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but he was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. We can't comprehend it. If we think of Job's suffering in this depths of despair... Christ's suffering in Gethsemane was at this depths of despair. And Christ knows what it is to have a crushed heart and spirit. And He is touched with the feelings of our infirmities. When a person is hit hard in life, and realizes his own helplessness, he finds out, or he has the opportunity to find out, that it is not a cowardly thing to turn to Jesus, but it is the way and the only way that God has made for us to survive and to thrive. And it is a crucial time that we either run to Jesus or we waller in our own strength and our own effort and the opinions of others which will miserably, miserably fail us. To run to the Lord. A song... And I, I looked for the music for it, but can't find it. But it, it's a song I'm working on memorizing because I believe we need to equip ourselves because I believe that suffering is coming in this life. The song says, When my cross gets too heavy to carry, when my trial's too hard to bear, I will lift mine eyes to Mount Calvary where He died and I'll leave every burden there. I cast all my cares upon You. I lay all of my burdens down at Your feet and any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon You. You can give every heartache to Jesus. He's a faithful, compassionate friend. He's the master and the savior and healer that you prayed for. Just look to Mount Calvary and say, I cast all my cares upon you.
I lay all of my burdens down at your feet. And any time I don't know what to do, I will cast all my cares upon you. There are many, many times in life when we don't know what to do. There are many, many times in life when great cares come that perhaps no one else even knows about or a very limited few know about. And, and what we must do is pour our heart out to God and run to Him and cast our cares upon Him even as Job poured his heart out in, in chapter 3. It's not just it's not just offering up a quick little flare prayer. That's not going to cut it in these times in life. And we need to build a walk with God so that when the crisis come, we are familiar with the face of God. We are familiar with the truth of God so that we know that this is my only avenue for help and hope. Number six, when it is totally dark, hang on to God and let go of the outcome. Hang on to God. There, there will come times in life when you can't even see God. When you, you may not even want to see Him. Your, your, your flesh is reacting and, and you may in the flesh, push against God. But our only help and our only hope is to hang on to God and let go of the outcome. Not hang on to God and tell Him what to do. It's hang on to God and say, God, You are sovereign. I am trusting You with my life, my all. You, and again, you may see nothing of God. There are dark, dark... That's where Job was. But Job left the outcome to God. He said, I would, I would like to perish, but that's in your hands, God. I don't understand this and why is this happening, but that's in your hands, God. God is our only help and our only hope. And I believe God is at work worldwide trying to get we as people to realize that today. Corey Ten Boom, who experienced the, the vile evils of concentration camps in World War II, lost family members there, was persecuted and tormented said, there is no pit so deep, but that God is not deeper still. That's a word from one who has walked through the depths of the deepest pit. But see, to hang on to God is in our effort. But to hang on to God, we must saturate in the Word and cling to the promises even when we think it is impossible. And as we said, chapter 3 shows us the battle that went on in, in Job's mind and in his soul. And it's the battle that goes on in our mind and soul. 
And Paul addressed it. It's the battle of our mind. Whatsoever things are true and honest and just and pure and lovely, if there's any virtue, if there's any praise, think on these things. Because in the midst of despair, our mind will take us to think on all the bad. And we must take control of our mind and say, no, I'm going to think on these things. It is imperative that we do that. And number seven, ultimately, our goal is to glorify God regardless of the circumstances. Every one of us here would desire to glorify God in prosperity and peace. But you know what? That's not up to us. But every one of us are called to glorify God no matter what comes in life. And Job ended up glorifying God no matter what came in life. And, and what comes in life, we may say, I wouldn't have chosen this, but we must, in the midst of that, come back and say, Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. I want to glorify you. We may never understand the circumstances. In, in the book of Job, God never explained to Job why these things happened. He never did. And we may never understand the circumstances that come in our life, but as believers, our purpose is always the same. Paul said it. I want to magnify Christ in my life, whether it be by life or by death. I want to magnify Christ. And so, the question is not why, but the question is, God, how can I magnify You in the midst of these circumstances? You know what? We can't change the circumstances that come in our life. But we can change our response to Him. So God, how can I magnify You? How can I glorify You? And it all comes back to our personal relationship with God. You know, this, this, has, been, this has been a very difficult message for me to prepare and present, and I'm sure for you to hear. And, and part of the difficulty is, in my own heart, is God, I pray that in the depths of despair, I will be true to you. I, I can't stand here and say, I will, but I know based on God's Word, that every one of these observations are absolutely true. And it is the only hope that we have. And we need to prepare our souls so that when difficult, despairing events come into our lives, that we don't say, What's going on, God? You betrayed me! That we say, I'm going to cling to You, God, even if I can't see You. This is the promise of Your Word, and I want You to be glorified in the midst of this darkness. And that must be our prayer. Heavenly Father, 
please have mercy in the sense of mercy to help us to glorify You. Lord, perhaps some are facing great, great trials even today. Lord, may You help them in the battle, in the mind, to be able to think on those things that are true and honest and just and virtuous and so on. Lord, I pray that we would commit with our whole heart and soul and mind to know You in the light and in the dark. And Lord, I pray if there's individuals here today who have never called upon You, they don't, they don't have You. They're without hope. They're separated from You by sin because there's, sin has never been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray today that they would come to know You and have You to shepherd their life. Lord, we plead Your mercies that we would be true to You, true to Your Word, that we would glorify Your name regardless of the circumstances. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.